Welcome to this episode of the Trainer Feed. We have a special guest, David Bravo's dad is coming on to the episode today. Happy birthday, David's birthday. Happy birthday. No, David, who is our guest today? It's uh, Keith Alloway. He's a trainer, uh, co-worker, and he's been one of my mentors uh, since the beginning of my training career. That's awesome. Not related at all. He's Unofficial father figure. White. And I'm not. And he's English. You can have, have a dad that's like not, that doesn't look like you. But it's crazy because, you know, my dad is alive. And you can I have, have a two dad. dads. <laughs> nah, I'm okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, should we bring him on? Let's do it. Mr. Right, Keith Alloway. Keith Alloway. Chief Keith. Chief Keith. Oh, shit. Let's hope he knows how to work this thing. Here he is. Hey. <laughs> Hi, Keith. Keith, can you hear us? Oh, shit. Hello. Now I have to be polite. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Keith? I have to behave myself now. How are no, you? No, not much. You know, not not all not a, not all the you know not all the time. Not all, all right. the time. All right. I'll try and rein it in a little bit then. Perfect. Hi Keith. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? It's been a while. It's been That's a very long time, yeah. I would say over a year now at least. Yeah, at least, yeah. Yeah. I Even... just saw you late earlier today, Keith. You guys live I'm together. I'm talking to you, David. Yeah. <laughs> David, just shut up. It's dark. <laughs> you, have you come off the, the high of the Chelsea victory over the weekend? Uh, I will never him. come off that high. You should have seen him. It's hard for me to say I, I wasn't, quote, rooting for them, but I just want Man City to lose more. That's how I phrased it. Rather, <laughs> I was like, no, I think I'd rather see Man City lose than Chelsea. And Chelsea have already won it, right? That was the second time they won it in like nine years. 2009. Or something or yeah. ever seeing it yeah so i want a man city yeah. to win just to take keith's money but oh you bet with keith about it yeah yeah 50 dollars. oh you silly man hey hey you know the whole last last half you know keith was just like shaking and you know it was i was somewhat embarrassed by myself because i was that guy sitting on the edge of the sofa kicking <laughs> every ball he's like this every tackle just kidding <laughs> Especially when Pulisic should have buried that. That would have made it easier if you're up 2 0 as opposed to 1. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. well, we didn't need that. So that was good. And then there was obviously Rudiger trying to uh, win De Bruyne. Yeah. He destroyed his face. That guy's face is in one piece. He's too pretty anyway. It, it'll, it'll build character for him. <laughs> oh, man. Funny. What else have been going on with you guys? How have you been doing? good we've been launching this and Jan spoke to you that we had her on almost a year ago now it's been this long that we've been doing yeah. this um yeah, right. and probably for the most i'd say doing some in-person training probably since last summer but probably since what well, we left 76th street in january we were at sports club two months before covid happened so it's two months of being there and everything is like everyone else pretty much just doing everything virtually and then Slowly getting back into it, half and half, half. Some people still want to stay virtually, and some people want to come in mm-hmm. person. And I'd say that's probably been the majority of it. And um, it's been it's been a challenge, but I'm sure same for you and, and David at Seven Six Street. Not more, everyone came back. But you still have much uh, many virtual clients, Keith, or, or did they all come back? Me, at least the. Uh, 
I would probably say like two thirds of my business is still virtual. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. I've been mean, probably in the same boat too. What people are telling me is that I mean they're really not they don't really want to come back till the end of the summer probably. But a lot of that is because these were the kind of people that would go away for the summer anyway. So they just so there are some houses, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they'll they'll be back when they'll be back. So their fourth or fifth house, you know, just whichever. But the good thing is, is that they discovered virtual, so that you don't lose out on sessions, right? Before these people, if they would go to the Hamptons or the shore, whatever it was, it was maybe I'll see you once a week, a set two or three times, or I'll see you in two months. Now it's that we can at least keep that two or three times a week, and it be virtual, and you don't even have to commute. So there's been not yeah. that COVID has been a good thing, but there's been a blessing in all this is that you, we still are able to maintain our business whilst, and they still are still able to stay on track. So there's been some, right. for sure. So that's been the upside to it. If there, yeah. There, there really was one. Yeah. Um, one of the few. And never in this kind of weird situation where we're doing this hybrid. So it's about, I mean, the hard part right now is just scheduling. Mm. Yeah. Because I still have virtual learning need to do and then kind of integrating that with the kind of getting out there in the real world again and trying to figure out how that's going to work. And being a natural introvert, uh, I was kind of happy in shutdown. So. Oh, yeah, Keith? <laughs> I, I was built for this. I'm a misanthrope and I'm a, I'm a tremendous introvert. So I was built for this. I've been very, I've actually been very comfortable. My <laughs> wife, on the other hand, has been going out of her mind. <laughs> She's stuck there with you, Keith. Huh? he's stuck with you i think it's the other way around david <laughs> i think i'm How? the one that's suffering from stockholm syndrome oh my god <laughs> hey um <laughs> How so with with people during COVID with people that you've had online? How have you been structuring their workouts? I mean, have you changed anything in terms of what equipment they have? Have you recommended them get specific equipment, or have they been just hesitant to not want to do anything? Oddly enough, uh, pivoting towards virtual was not difficult at all for most people. I think a lot of them also wanted, especially in that immediate part of the shutdown, they wanted that sort of distraction. They wanted something that sort of reminded them of normalcy. And that sort of, there's something that's scheduled, there's something that they have to do that wasn't work and took them out of it. So as far as the actual workouts, yeah, obviously a lot of it was scaled differently because without having access to certain kinds of equipment, um, a lot of clients did buy equipment. Kettlebells were very popular when people could actually get them. Angel took all of them. Yeah, I'm sure. So, you know, people did go out there, they did buy some equipment and added slowly throughout the year as, uh, as they sort of realized this is going to take a lot longer than they expected. And some of them also already had some, some things. So it was a matter of just adapting and just sort of being flexible with what particular specific objectives they might have and kind of being realistic about what they could and couldn't do, what was available to them. Yeah. But you know, a lot of my clients are, some, are somewhat um, older, so it, it didn't impact too much on what we were able to do. Nice. You know, focusing on a little bit, maybe more on a little bit more mobility work and a little bit more sort of that kind of stuff rather than sort of the pure weightlifting that be, they'd become accustomed to doing with me at the gym. So that's really how I worked it. It, it was actually relatively a smooth transition. It wasn't that different in many respects for some of them. And it was, it was very workable. Nice. Um, I wanted to pivot a little bit and ask you about what your opinion would be on, or what do you think 
are the pros and cons of sort of the past, what, maybe like decade and a half of more barbell programs being implemented in gyms, you know, for example, CrossFit or, or like warehouse gyms, um, what that impact has been on clientele and members joining gyms, if, if it's been a positive or more of a negative? I think overall it's been uh, a positive um, if I can speak from my own experiences as a, a weightlifting coach and working in that genre and that kind of area, one of the things that has been really encouraging um, has been since I first really took sort of coaching weightlifting seriously and starting to go to competitions, and you've experienced some of this with me, is we would go to some of these regional meets and there might be, say, 70 people of which a good two thirds of those would be male and a smattering of women competitors. And in the last 10 years, what has changed in that arena is that you'll see on a weekend now at the same regional competition, 200, 300 people registered and showing up. And the proportion of women is at least if, if not even more than half. Yeah. So there's been a massive upsurge in women who have been able some of it has been because of their association with CrossFit and they've discovered that, yeah, they can, you know, they can use a barbell. They can get strong. They can be very athletic and there's nothing. And that's been the really sort of the most encouraging thing for me and the most exciting thing um, to see that expansion and sort of, you know, the, the greater participation in that way. So I think in that regard, it's been very positive. Obviously, um, you know, from our standpoint, sometimes you get people coming in doing sort of lifts and barbell lifts that they're not particularly prepared for, that they definitely should have some help with because they don't really understand the basics. But I think overall, it's been a very positive thing. I think the idea of, you know, something that's been around for a very, very long time and just this reawakening of this idea that this is very valuable and it uh, has the ability of getting people very strong um, very quickly. And also working on those things that other people, things that people want, want is mobility and athleticism and all those things. So I think in, in that regard, it's been very positive. Cool. Um, I wanted to kind of touch base on some foundational stuff about Keith. Uh, and I wanted to know about your journey. If you could enlighten the audience as to your journey into the fitness industry, when did it start? Um, and how did you get to the point where you are at right now? Well, that's it's a that's a long journey. That's been a long time. Oh yeah, <laughs> maybe the highlights of it. Maybe we can so, go over the so highlights. Maybe just the highlights. Keith uh, was Peter Pan one day. That's <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, but I've actually grown up, and I'm now old. Um, so as that's just as a trainer, uh, as that part of my journey, uh, I've been a personal trainer, weightlifting coach for 20 years, a little bit over 20 years. Um, my weightlifting journey really started way back when I was in college. I was, I was uh, playing rugby and I had a college coach who I was very small and I was a little weedy, skinny little kid. And he basically said I needed to put, some, put on some weight and he sent me over to the local weightlifting club. And that's how I started weightlifting myself. I'm, I was probably 18 years old at the time. Um, the uh, And then... After that, after I got out of college, um, was having some uh, 
some issues and I turned to bodybuilding uh, to create a healthier lifestyle for myself. I actually became a vegetarian for a while. And through that period, I started to kind of reevaluate, you know, what fitness was. Um, I kind of flirted with bodybuilding, did a couple of competitions, decided that wasn't for me. And then uh, life took uh, different turns. I ended up in the US and sort of meandered around doing various different things. And then about 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, uh, I actually had uh, a girlfriend who got a job as a personal trainer because I was working in the restaurant business at the time. And it sort of struck me like, oh, I could do that for a living. You know, I work out, I know about training. So I got a job at uh, a, a crunch way back in like the early, early 2000s, late, 19, late 1990s. Uh, like a lot of people went in there thinking that I knew everything and I was, I was really good at what I did and found out very quickly. I didn't know my ass from my elbow <laughs> and uh, decided at that point that if I was going to do this, because I really enjoyed what I was doing, working with my clients and working with them, that I needed to educate myself and become, from my point of view, the best trainer that I could be. And that's basically what I've been pursuing for the last 20 years taking every opportunity I can to take classes, um, especially in the weightlifting arena. I've worked with some really very good coaches. Um, I've learned a great deal from them in person, just watching them, going to seminars. And that's really been my journey. Um, I think the most profound lessons I've learned has been, have been through weightlifting and the coaching lessons that, that's, that they have taught me and the different, and I think that's the biggest difference and that's what's made me uh, the coach that I am, hopefully uh, a good one. Do you, um, just out of curiosity, um, I know you spoke about like doing different classes and things like that. Have you ever, uh, tried like yoga or Pilates, like in your, has it been primarily weightlifting and strength training, or have you like dabbled with a couple of other different types of, uh, fitness things, maybe dance? Um, I would say, uh, dabble is a very good term for it. Um, I have taken yoga before. Um, the last time I took yoga, uh, my initial reaction was that if the teacher touched me one more time, I was going to punch <laughs> him in the face. And I realized that that was not exactly what they were looking for or going for. It wasn't quite the meditative experience I hoped it would be. I don't think you want to think of that while you're doing yoga, Keith. I, again, I don't think that is, I think my attitude going in was, was, was not correct. Um, so I, I don't necessarily say I haven't really used it as sort of try to integrate it into my training. As far as Pilates is concerned, I have my own opinions about Pilates and its uh, efficacy. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely have experienced it. I have done Pilates. I have taken some classes in it and I have experienced it. I mean, part of my philosophy has always been don't knock something at least until you've tried it on yourself. I mean, a lot of um, what I've learned about training has been experimenting on myself. I've been doing it long enough. I've tried just about every modality that you can think of at some point and either integrated it or moved it to the side as just something that may be something I need to reference but don't necessarily need in my, my practice. We should, we should go to LA and try goat yoga. Have you tried, have you, have you heard of that? I like goats. goats it's a, it's a big trend in LA. Places. It was just take a yoga class with little baby goats 
and they're like walking all over you while you're doing the yoga. It's insane. It's ridiculous. Well, I wouldn't be doing any yoga. It was it was online. <laughs> it was on Instagram. David is actually certified in yoga, uh, goat yoga. He doesn't told us. <laughs> that does not surprise me at all. Baby he's, goats are cute. That's why he's always busy. He's actually just training of goats in his, in his, in his apartment or something. So he's the goat whisperer now? Is that what he's become? That's what he keeps in that back that, that oh side God. door. <laughs> so nah, let's not go back to the keeps in that back side door. It's my bedroom. I'm sure it is, yeah. My God. Anyway, um, so a little uh, to be, piggyback off of Angel's question about classes that you've taken or courses and seminars. Yeah. Is there a specific class or course uh, that has impacted you the most, or that you think, if it was offered today, everybody should take it? Specifically, no. I mean, uh, I mean, this was years and years ago. Um, I took a course and I'm now forgetting the name of the coach that uh, took it. And it was, it was just an insight into, it was probably close to the end of the nineties. Oh, okay. And it was a course about the impact of um, immune diseases on exercise. And it was just an insight into the work that people were doing and trying to kind of create an inclusive community, understanding what their challenges might be for people of, um, with certain different disabilities and how to modulate your training to accommodate them. And that's, there are lessons that I learned then, but this was somewhat almost 20 years ago when I was begin, first beginning talking mm-hmm. about um, the effect of so immune, his particular research was particularly about HIV patients okay. and how intensity of exercise could affect their immune systems. And it was just a good lesson in, the impact of what we do and how we have to be sensitive to kind of how can we accommodate everybody in an entryway to bring them into kind of weight training if they kind of if for whatever reason their own system is compromised so that was an interesting lesson it's certainly not offered anymore because that was a long time ago but i think the most impactful things to me were when i took by taking the coaching lessons uh when i was uh helping out teaching um, a local coach, uh, Mike McKenna, who on the Northeast region does a lot of the coaching for USAW. And I would uh, work with him. And for him, it was just sitting in on his classes, listening to him talk, seeing how he structured the the coaching and the the teaching of itself. And just allowing me to see a, a wide variety of different people and coaching them to improve my eye as a coach itself you know what different things do you come up against um you know how do you overcome people's barriers to kind of learning certain things and learning different coaching techniques mike mckenna um if you don't know him i know david does he's been uh, greatly influential to me in the last 10 years i have a great deal of respect for him i think he's one of the best coaches there are out there that nobody knows about He's a big fucking guy. He's strong. he's a very big, big gentleman, um, and he's quite scary. But he's a big teddy bear. He's a teddy bear. Yeah, I mean, he's a, but he's also a really good coach, and he's he's uh, he's a really good teacher. Yeah. Wow. Um, you mentioned about trying to be a better coach. You know, years after years, and how would uh, from anything you've known, what how would you structure a basic beginner program for somebody that you would see? that probably has no 
background in athletics, no background in weightlifting, and their primary goal is to just get stronger. Well, no different than anyone else. The first thing I want to do is I want to see how do they move? Mm -hmm. How do they react under a stress? Give them a bar. See how they move under the bar. See what they do. Don't give them any input. Just let them do what they do. And then um, scale it from there. I mean, something I talk about with anyone I work with is there's always an entry point. You know, people can be intimidated, especially with barbell work or with weights because they see they've seen images or videos of people working with incredible weights or doing incredible feats. And it's like, there's always an entry point, even if it's just a bar, even if it's a dowel, there's something you can start with and start patterning the movements that you need to learn those basic techniques, those basic movement patterns in any, in there's always an entry point and it doesn't need to be as intimidating as I think some people think it might be. Um, so it's really just, you know, where's your start point? You know, where are you? What, what kind of skills do you come with or don't come with? And then finding where that entry point is and then just working from there and then scaling from there. Cool. In, in your experience, do you find, I know this is a very general question, so apologies ahead of time. Uh, do you find that there's more of a challenge or obstacles in regards to stability or mobility in the stability mobility continuum? Uh, I think the challenge is more to do with, I think, a misunderstanding of what those two things are. Mm. Um, I think there's a sort of interpretation of what stability is. And a lot of it is fed by different fads that have come and gone in the fitness industry. You know, what does stability really mean? What does mobility really mean? And I think there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding, misinformation out there and getting to sort of the purity of what, the, what do we mean really by stability and just in a pure sort of academic way, it's, you know, can you maintain your center of mass over your center of base? That's what stability means in its purest essence. And that's what it really means. So for a lot of people, and again, I know it sounds very simplistic is get your feet under a bar. Do you not fall over? If you don't fall over, you're stable. That's, a, that's actually stress. a really cool way to think about it. I, didn't, I never thought about it that way. So I think a lot of it is that um, because of, again, fads in the industry, there's been this emphasis on what stability is and what mobility is. And a lot of it is just, it's more to do with marketing with what the actual kind of essence of what it is and what it means in the first place. That, that also just um, reminds me of a, a couple of other episodes that we had where people were talking about how sometimes when you have a new client or you have you know somebody come up to you and say hey i want to train you have to lay that groundwork in regards to creating the foundation of i'm going to communicate to you i'm going to say some things that you might not understand but i'm going to explain them afterwards like you have to almost educate as mm -hmm. you go through everything, because sometimes you just don't know necessarily where the problems are. It could just be vocabulary and a misunderstanding of everything because it's, you know, it's, it's sexy to sell like shake weights, right. And market it mm -hmm. as a stability <laughs> exercise or a stability tool. Right. But does it really do anything? The answer is no. Um, but anyway, well, I think that's, that's, I mean, that's the biggest part of our job, I think is, is communication and education because there is so much misinformation out there. And I, and I think what, and this is true with any profession, 
every profession creates a vernacular that creates this inherent opacity to everybody else. So that we've sort of, we developed this idea, well, we have this inside knowledge, we have this information that you don't have or you can't grasp because you're an outsider. So we can sell that to you. Sign up here for the free right. five day so course. It, so I think our, a big part of our job is to break down those barriers, is to kind of find language that kind of cuts through that so that we can communicate, A, what we want from them, and so that you understand what the journey is we're trying to take them on is going to be. Mm. So a lot of the times it's sort of, for want of a better term, cutting through the BS and just sort of kind of placing it in as simple as terms as it is. And I hate keep coming back to sort of what I learned from kind of coaching Olympic weightlifting. It is those lessons of having different learning styles and different ways of approaching different people that I think helps a great deal of, you know, how do you make it clear of what you want from somebody? How do you communicate that idea? Where, again, it goes back to what's that entry point? Where is that point where you can make it clear so that you're both sort of unified and going into the same direction? And it takes a little work. And sometimes that relationship can take a little bit of time to develop between people because you have to learn what somebody responds to and they have to really learn how you are trying to communicate. And there has to be an openness. I think we have to kind of create, it has to be a dialogue and we have to kind of try and make it go both ways. So if they have questions or if we have questions, there's an openness. And a lot of that is built about building trust, making sure that, you know, Obviously, they're vested in you in kind of a financial sense because they're paying for your services, but also they trust that you're there for your their best interests. I want to piggyback off some things you mentioned with you know breaking through the BAS and you've mentored obviously David, some of us, for example, and then very many coaches that came through the ranks at 76th Street. What have been some of the more common themes or patterns that you're reinforcing coaching wise with anyone that you take under your wing? The first thing is keep it simple, mm. especially in the beginning. Um, I think there are in the field that we kind of know very explicitly, this sort of this health club scenario as employees, there's a financial imperative. There's also a kind of a managerial imperative that puts pressure on us. And I think um, it goes back to kind of any craft or anything you're trying to learn is learn the basics first. Don't try and learn everything all at once because it becomes overwhelming. And what I see quite a lot is people do get overwhelmed. There's so much information. There's always some sort of supposed innovation coming out and I would always urge everyone right from the beginning, just learn the very basics, get those basic foundational things underneath you, really understand them and everything just flows from there. And yeah, if, if you have the understanding of those basic things, those more complex ideas, you now know where they come from. You now can validate whether they're good or not because you have this foundation underneath. I was just going to say, and you I know, the foundation. It's very easy yeah. for people to get overwhelmed. And retouching what you said with you when people have these new innovations there's always uh 
claims of a discovery or a mm-hmm. new method. And as you said, I think whenever you break down, I actually want to tie in the next question I have for you, but when you break down a program to an extent, it's really pushes, pulls, hinges, and uh, knee dominant exercises, and then trunksability. Yeah. Everything falls under those five. So it's not a case yeah. of, um, even though you have, you said, the bodybuilding experience, which I think perhaps my understanding or some of our understanding of a program style with that is by muscle group, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. the way we've been coaching for the last five or 10, 20 plus years that you're saying is more on those five somewhat principles of pushing and pulling and keeping it simple, right? That kind of leads me into asking when you design your own program, I know you've had we and this goes uh in reference to also david and angel's clients when they're same with your clients i've seen this in the club when they're working out by themselves you've taught them the extent that when they're by themselves they're doing the program or the style that you taught them right and that to uh-huh. me as i've said is that you've done your job well that even when they're by themselves the method of working out of training is still true the way you taught them because they're doing it when they're by themselves, whether it's they mm-hmm. were deadlifting, whether it was all bench pressing or something. So when it comes to your program, how do you typically design it? How do you branch out and, and scheme things? For me personally? Yeah, I want to hear about okay. this. Uh, so for me personally, something that has become more evident as I've gotten um, a little older, is I've almost I almost pared it down almost to the, even the, the most basic things. So something that I talk about a lot with my clients and with everybody is that you know that there's this training is one thing, and there's this other, this secondary element that we, we don't tend to pay enough attention to, which is the recovery process. You know, as an older person, I can't train as intensely or as often as I used to be able to because I just can't recover for all sorts of different reasons. So I've pared it down to kind of very basic things that I know I can execute well, I've become comfortable with. Uh, I want to train to maintain a certain level of strength most of the time, but I also want to be active in certain things. So there's an interesting uh, flexion point right now is that uh, in a couple of weeks I'm going to go on a do a, a mini weekend bike ride bike tour so I have to be able to ride 100 miles in a day comfortably so obviously heavy weight training doesn't lend itself to that at the same time so I have to get enough miles in so I have the conditioning to do that 100 miles without dying um, slight so detail last, slight detail so over the last few weeks, I've toned down the kind of intensity of the weight training a little bit. I'm now do basically just doing two days a week of relatively intense weight training, but doing a lot more days where I'm just trying to get as many miles on the bike as possible. A, just to get comfortable of sitting on the bike several hours at a time. And so it's a matter of just looking at, you know, where am I at in any given point in a year? What am I trying to drive towards? So even though I don't in general have sort of really specific goals, I'm not competing at anything. I'm not, I don't have a competition coming up. I don't have, you know, I don't, I don't have to look beach ready or whatever it might be. I try and pick certain. 
not yet, not yet. <clears throat> we'll see Keith in a onesie those, soon. I think those days are gone anyway. <laughs> I didn't bore a no, onesie. <laughs> nobody wants to see me in a speedo. Um, <laughs> not even my wife, which is kind of sad. Oh. Um, <laughs> Old Diana. So, so for me, it's it's similar to what we do with our clients: is trying to pick some sort of inflection point where I'm kind of training towards something at least. Whether it was in you know, my previous training cycle, I, I spent some time. I wanted to hit certain numbers into basic lifts. I wanted to hit a certain number in a squat. I wanted to sit, hit a certain number of in the deadlift. Um, so I created a program around that, and it's about cycling it. Um, and sometimes, and at this point for myself, a lot of my training can be intuitive um, because you know you you work towards a specific goal and you start losing the leverage that you had at the beginning of a, a training program where you're sort of plateauing out. So now what do I do? Do I have to wave under? Do I change the program completely, take a break? So, you know, it's all about also being aware of where I'm at physically. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously, as we all get a little bit older, some of that changes and some of that becomes, it sort of becomes, in many respects, the program writes itself. Do you, On that note of recovery, which what's interesting when we spoke about people not people but like supposedly new trends happening but there's perhaps more emphasis on recovery more than anything or as you said keeping it simple and it really if you stay away from we've mentioned this with a couple of other of our guests as well when it comes to recovery just make sure you sleep yeah eat clean drink plenty of water when you talk just now about not being able to walk out as intense or do you feel it's that you need more days rest? Do you feel you need more sleep on average? Do you think it just means that the rep sets with the patterns you're doing have to be altered to help with recovery? What, break that down a little bit for us. Well, that well, I, sound looks I think like. it's all of those things. I think, uh, I think you hit it on the head, but the first thing you said was sleep. Mm. I think the one thing that a lot of us cheat first is getting enough sleep creating a, a schedule or creating a sort of, you know, a regular sleep pattern, which is very difficult for a lot of people. Um, you know, as someone in their um, late fifties, it's difficult for me to even sleep through the night because of various injuries. I just wake up, you know, I'll wake up, my arm is numb and I can't get like, and that's just a factor of just living long enough. So how do I manage that? So you know, being aware and being intuitive enough when I walk into the gym that day, when I have, you know, I'm scheduled to do a particular workout, I may have to modify this. You know, that's why I always stress when I'm working with all of my clients, that's what the part of what the warm-up is about. The warm-up is not necessarily about, I just need to get ready for what I'm about to do. It's also informing me how ready am I to do this? You know, is it is what I have planned today even going to happen? You know, is my hip cranky? Is my shoulder really cranky? So what do I need to change even on the fly? I know we, we talk a lot about programs, but I train to the client or I train to myself. I don't train necessarily. I, there's a, the program itself is a template to follow to some sort of specific outcome, but it's still just a template and it has to be modified and changed on any, on any given day. I'm lucky enough to be intuitive enough to know what, what's going to work on any, I mean, I, and sometimes you get surprised. Sometimes you have a really good day when you feel like crap. And sometimes you have a really bad day when you feel like 
I wake up great sleep. I'm rested. I ate well. Um, and it just doesn't work. I mean, on the continuum, you just got to look at, it's only just one day. Any particular workout is just one day out of hundreds, thousands of. To have a consistent process. Yeah. One, yeah. one, yeah. So it's exactly that. The process itself needs to be consistent, not necessarily the outcomes per se. And I think we sometimes get too wrapped up on specific outcomes and not understanding it is a process. And that process is often not perfect. You know, injuries happen, things happen, life happens that yeah. interrupt that. I mean, if the last year has not taught us anything that the really unexpected could happen and how do you adapt to that? But if you can stick with some form of process, then you'll always be served by that. And that becomes your anchor, the process in and of itself. I would argue with one point that you made about, uh, you mentioned um, clean eating. Mm -hmm. And I have uh -oh. an issue with that term. Gloves are coming off. Oh, shit. Let's go. <laughs> because he asked um, for it. <laughs> and a lot, and that comes out of this whole kind of wellness movement that we're going through right now. Another one of these waves and fads. I would like us not to be careful about the language we use when we're describing something. To say that something is clean, that means that something is unclean. And that creates a value, an emotional or a judgmental value on something. And I think we need to be very careful about that, especially when we talk about something that is a subject uh, diet, which is so loaded for so many people. Mm -hmm. I think the language that we use, we have to be more, much more careful how we pass that out. Yeah. I don't, I don't like to think of clean or unclean foods because that kind of creates a value on something that puts too much weight on it. And that I think can be troublesome for some people. And that can lead people through certain behaviors that are not necessarily healthy for themselves when it's interpreted in that way. No, I think that's a very good point. I think um, I probably should have defined it better. And we, we've had a we've had people as well that speak to the they 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 mentioned play foods. Am I right, guys? That was some. So we spoke. Yeah. So we spoke to a registered dietitian, and one point she made because uh, Jacques said something about. Junk cheap food, food. and cheap food or something. Yeah, and she also gave him a spanking uh, because <laughs> she said that all food has nutritional values, so there is no yeah. junk food. And when you say junk food or cheap meals or whatever, it's implying that there's something you know that's better. The, the opposite of what he said with clean eating or clean foods, yeah. it's like the opposite. So uh, she said, if you were dying, if you were trying to survive, and somebody threw you a gummy bear. And you ate the gummy bear would you survive would you have a higher likelihood to survive the answer is yes and that's why there is no junk food yeah i think it's i think that's that kind of language i mean we live in a in a country as well and i i certainly lived in certain neighborhoods but there's a lot of there are sort of nutritional deserts because of lack of a lack of opportunity of getting sort of what we so-called healthy food and a lot of food insecurity. So that when we label things as clean as unclean, that can often be sort of turned into a self-fulfilling prophecy is that you know, people aren't deserving of food in certain ways because they eat what we determine as junk food. And you know, we have to be very careful about how we use that language because that can uh, kind of create division and it, it doesn't open up the conversation. It creates a uh, barrier rather than opening yeah. the conversation and an entry point. No, I, I agree. So I think that's definitely something that can be, uh, I should be more specific about. And I, I guess what I was 
leading off was just as as close to the the natural source as possible but again that's whole going, food as well no i just whole if foods. no not if whole foods. Asks, i mean it could be don't, yeah, don't, don't get me started on whole foods <laughs> going on a rant and i, I might know. break it so. <laughs> with the computer <laughs> keep us left the chat because he's smacked the screen now. <laughs> yeah but I, but I think then again, I think that, I mean, even that term in itself is like, we have to kind of get closer to the source. There are certain places, I mean, this is going a little bit off topic, but there are places around, even in the city, but that's just not possible. Mm-hmm. You know, if we talk about food deserts, you go to certain neighborhoods, you go into a, a local grocery store and the grocery store has two massive aisles with just sugary cereals in it and sugary sodas. And the produce produce is a, basically just a large refrigerator. And that's what's available in there because they're economically or challenged neighborhoods, but also sort of, you know, uh, trying to find the right word before I piss everybody off. Yeah, just sort take of it to social economically. <laughs> social economic background. There you go. Where companies don't <laughs> want to they don't see the value or they don't see how they can monetize that enough. So I think we need to be careful when we start using those kind of words as like forcing people, you've got to do this. You've yeah. got to see where people are and then work with that 100%. rather than imposing an idea onto them of you have to do it this way. If you don't do it this way, then you're going to fail. We have to find an, an entry point into where they are and then find the leverage and then change that behavior incrementally it's not going to be and this is the thing that we fail with a lot of times even with our own clients because you have to you can't do everything all at once just take a little bite at it what can where can we find a change where we could find a small habit change a small behavioral change gives us a little bit of leverage that leads to the next step and then the next step and then the next step and it goes back to what we were talking with jock it's about the process Mm -hmm. this is a process it's going to take time because we're also changing behaviors. We're learning new behaviors. We're breaking old habits. So we have to invest yep. in that. This is not going to be sort of a, a one and done thing in a very short period of time. It'll happen overnight. Yeah. But no, 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 well said. Well said. Never mind. And these are sort of habits and behaviors that need to become sort of just part of our everyday life event over time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort no. of instilling that into people. Um, I, have a, I have a question probably a little bit off of what we were chatting about, but uh, what are your, so I've had this conversation with clients in the past about their own kids or when they see kids lifting weights. And mm-hmm. a lot of the biggest, the biggest thing they would say is, Oh, they, they shouldn't be lifting weights because it'll stunt their growth. What's your top, what's your opinion on that notion? Uh, first of all, it's just not true. Mm-hmm. That is not true. It will not stunt their growth. Um, I think it's a valuable lesson for anyone. I mean, you know, um, even if they're like the getting idea. into sports, you know, like getting into adolescent sports. I think, I think that's one of the elements that I think we fit where we often failed kids in general, anyway. I mean, it's sort of an idea that we deal with, with our adult clients is you get strong and fit to play a sport. You don't play a sport to get strong and fit. That's, that's the performative part. You need to do some training to be resilient enough to withstand the stresses of the sport that you're playing. So for a kid, I think it's very important. And I think one of the things that is slowly starting to change and one of the kind of the bright things about what's happening 
on the resurgence of weightlifting is that it's there's a, become an entry point for a lot of young women that it's okay for them to be stronger it's okay for them to be athletic you know you look at the growth of things like uh, the, the women's premier league in england in europe in england and then the women's football leagues the the example of watching the u.s um as you americans would say soccer team thank you um being so successful so i think it's i think it's vital i think actually the sooner you can start with kids teaching them that there's a physicality that they need to learn there's a kind of a robustness and there's a resilience that they need to develop so that they can enjoy these physical activities and i think it also kind of creates a certain level of discipline it creates a, a structure that so often i think people are looking for and it again it starts teaching that idea of we're, we're actually part of a process here it's part of a bigger continuum yeah um, but the idea that it stunts growth is just not true it's just just a fallacy that's been out there for too long <laughs> no yeah last year it. last year i took a course uh it was a webinar thing with uh, mike boyle through the uh, perform better summer series i don't know if you guys probably took any of those courses but he mentioned that about you know training the youth and how the youth what are they a pack of dogs the youth adolescents keith teenagers they're a band (laughs) what your people oh my god listen we're not okay you know we're not gonna get into this keith but he was mentioning about the whole sports specific training about how you know you have you have these trainers marketing themselves as, as that when in reality sports specific training is basically just going to practice David loves that topic. David talks about that like every other podcast. Love it. Well, because it's this idea that the the, the sport itself is the performance. The preparation you do, the skill sets you you learn is sort of what you do during those training sessions for that. But there's a certain level of strength conditioning that you need to do to be able to do that and to perform at a high level and intensity. So they're they're, they're not separate but they're two somewhat separate things i would say and this is how why i'm so sort of an an advocate for barbell and strength training is strength itself is just an attribute it's not a skill per se but it's an it's an attribute that is applicable to everything Mm -hmm. because it's creating a systemic resilience in a system so they can withstand the stresses of what the demands we're placing on that system and that's where it becomes important. You know, you can get through that practice. When you get bounced off another player playing um, lacrosse or when you get tackled by a football player, if your body is strong enough to withstand those forces, you won't get injured as much. You'll be able to compete harder. You'll be able to play harder. So strength itself is not part of that skill set. It's just a kind of, a, it's an attribute that you need to attain to a certain level just to be successful in, in the performance. And a lot of natural athletes rugby. are just natural athletes anyway. They don't, they, part of the thing, they're all, a lot of those, I mean, is really good, very, and it's not, strength training is not sports specific, it's life specific. Mm-hmm. If we just make ourselves more resilient and stronger, everything else becomes easy. So the next you time know? you see David, you're going to tackle him. Oh, I, I wish he did every time I say that. I wish that's like a jackass. They just tackle each other in the middle of the public. You guys ever saw that? I wish Keith <laughs> would try to tackle me. I would lay him out so quick, drop, <laughs> drop my shoulder, 
Um, all right. So. Okay. All right. So, so next so, week, no, you no, don't know what day, okay, wait, but Angel Jacques, you heard it first. I take it back. Yeah. I take it back. No. No, don't so take it back. I'm gonna start playing rugby though. Week. I'm start. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna get Nick. Are to, you actually you know, gonna do it? I so this summer apparently the last so guys I was okay to Angel and Jacques you probably don't know Nick it was was just bugging me for the past couple of weeks to play rugby because he plays right Nick yeah, does in, yeah in the league that yeah. he plays and the, and last night he was he was texting me like all right come to practice it's tonight at seven I'm like you're out of your mind I had to work and then he basically just said that today yesterday last night was the last practice there's a game coming up this weekend and that I should play next season so we'll see I, I don't know i mean it is it, it does seem very fun but my whole thing is back to what keith said about you know not getting hurt as easily if you're strong well, you're gonna play rugby david so i'll tell you this one this one piece of wisdom from <laughs> lots of experience you wear a mouth shield get hurt yeah wear a mouth shield yeah and definitely yeah. that and you might want to think about a cup <laughs> too or some sort of protection down there I don't have. Anything I never wore anything down there. I like how Keith wasn't even concerned about your teeth. Keith is like, a fuck, man. I'm English. Why am I concerned about oh, anybody's shit. teeth? I don't care. Mine are terrible. <laughs> I, I still have a hillbilly gap right here because I chipped the tooth last year. I haven't got fixed yet. Oh my goodness! How'd you chip that tooth? I'm trying to take you oh. out, David, but he you you missed him. <laughs> anyway, but the other thing I'll say about if you play because I played for ten years. Ooh. Ask him is. Ooh. Oh shit! I played in the town was invented. Ooh, I played on the field where it was invented. Ooh. He also oh, has a master's in oh, chemistry. Shit. Oh yeah, uh, I keep there. I'm done. <laughs> uh, done. I, the other thing I will say as well, though, David, is find out. Um, do a bit not more research, but find out when when you watch it. Just what because there's there's fifty there's there's fifteen players, but there's technically like ten different positions. So find out what you. I forgot think... what position I was told. Uh, in the forwards. Uh, no, uh, he for muted hooker. Okay, yeah. you is look that like it? a hooker to me, David. I'll tell you that much. Oh man, uh, that's 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 the position. Yeah, you're right in the middle. That's I, I would have said anywhere in the pack, the, the forwards, um, because they're usually the stronger ones. Some of the ones in the back us, aren't. Keith, come play with us. I, th- I think David would make a very good prop. I was thinking a prop, proper second okay, row. Prop. That was it. Okay. Proper second row. Proper okay. second row. Yeah. Although these days, prop uh, second row are usually a little bit taller. They're a bit taller. They yeah, them, yeah. In the they want them in the in the lineouts. Yeah. I used to play hooker when I played. I believe oh, yeah. that. I see that. But that was back in the day when the hooker actually used to hook the ball. I don't know if you've now seen a modern just, rugby game. They just feed the ball. Don't they? I've never seen the ball going straight ever. They just what, feed it. What does yeah. it? What does that mean? They what do you mean, hook the ball? So when you the equivalent of a lo, like, like the line of scrimmage in the NFL, right? Uh-huh. When they hike the ball, it's like uh-huh. the closest thing, except you engage in an eight v eight kind of collision. Um, yeah, but collision. It, 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 right, and then it's, it's a hug. Squ- it's a gentle hug. It's a it's an it's a sixteen <laughs> man hug, right? Oh, and okay. the the scrum half, the number nine, he feeds the ball. It's a, it's how you reset play if there was. Uh, a stoppage like, of play, but you're supposed to feed it down the middle. But as Keith was just alluding to, they never feed it in the middle. They go to their side, so you just win it a guarantee because it's like a 50-50 as opposed to the center in the NFL feeding about the quarterback. That's pretty much guaranteed the quarterback's going to get it. But in rugby, in the scrum, it's meant to be a 50-50 right. supposedly. So this summer, so, I, uh, the summer he's going to start teaching me how to play that. So we'll see. But alluding to what some of the conversations we were talking about earlier, the best way you're going to learn is just by playing the game. Yeah, it's just get out there on the field and just you know get get on the field and just get into the the 
rhythm of the game and learning how to do it. I mean, one thing you will need to do is learn how to tackle properly because tackling in rugby is very different to the way it's done in football. Well, they don't yeah. tackle in, foot in the NFL. They tackle like idiots. They just throw their heads in because you don't have a head protection, actual head protection. You have to tackle properly. I like to say. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah the only experience I've had with contact, like body to body contact in lacrosse, was just like checking, like hip checking, or. or so you can't do that in rugby. You have to actually tackle. Something. Take the man Rap down. Yeah. And take Rap the man your legs down. down. Keith, you come near me at work, it's going down. Keith's gonna be like, "Yeah, I'm just showing you how it's done." Poof, takes him out when you're with a client. Oh. <laughs> Client's about to get yeah, a stretch. You understand it? Playing rugby is the reason I'm such a handsome older man that I am now because I got so many blows to the head. That's why I broke my nose five times. Oh my god! See, you're not four concussions. Play this anymore? Then David's it's like, fun, David. There's there's nothing better. It's it's really exhilarating. I I. I know it came up earlier that I, I, I follow um, soccer. I'm really trying to... Call a football, don't worry. We'll all get football. Call a football. football. That I follow fo football. But actually, my favorite sport is actually rugby. I love watching rugby. And we're, next year, um, we have tickets to go see England play Scotland in Edinburgh. Oh, that should be a dub for the Scots. They look good this year, didn't they? I didn't even talk to you about yeah. that. How good yeah. are they look this year? Absolutely They did look wagon. very good. Yeah. I'm so excited. I've I've never seen a Six Nations game before. I don't think I'm I have so either. excited to go. But Murray Fields are pretty good. Is a in Edinburgh. It's a pretty good stadium to go to. I've been I've been to take in there. It's good. Yeah, That'll be fun. In, only problem is it's in February. It's gonna be in Scotland. <laughs> cold as balls. Yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be. Yeah, good luck with that. And probably yeah. and, and Scotland probably raining as well. Probably raining and probably raining and snowing. All in the same day. Yeah, Scott sleet, uh, snow, sleet, rain in one day. Yeah, I believe you probably it. get the same, get all of it in half an hour in the same game. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That'd be exciting though, and it, everything should be pretty back to normal by then as well. It should be. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. That's, oh, that's I'm really exciting. thrilled to do that. Um, and to to wrap it up, I, I don't want to take any more of your time. Um, what are some projects you have coming up, if you have any, in terms of like. Do you have any any classes you might be taking? Any anything that you have going on in your own life? Um, right now, because of the last year, my plan is to have no plan. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I don't really have, I don't have anything really specific. I'm really just right now managing the transition back from sort of the virtual world that all of us have been living in back into uh, back to sort of that kind of hybrid that's probably going to be around for a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, to be honest, I don't know. I mean, the world has changed a little bit from my own personal world. So I'm trying to figure out what my direction is going to be in the next year or two. Um, both Diane and I have some ideas of things that are really just in the gestation process. Would you ever host um, your own seminars, courses? That may well be, that may be something that we might want to, is something we've been talking about. We've been talking with some other people to find sort of, uh, logistically how that would work. Mm -hmm. Um, I've even thought one of the reasons why I kept bothering David so much to try and get on your podcast was to kind of have some experience of it. So possibly doing my own. Um, and just generally other things, doing a little bit more writing. Um, you know, I, I think that I have um, experience and some knowledge that I uh, might be valuable to share with certain people. Do you know what field. your podcast is going to be named? Uh, I haven't decided yet. Okay. I'm still I have a couple thinking of, names of that. I could tell you, but I could 
Yeah. Uh, my original one was because at one point I was hoping to open a gym called All Cock and Balls. But apparently that's not, <laughs> that, that doesn't work. All Cock and Barbells, it should be called. Hey, there yeah. you go. There you go. All Cock and Bells. Go. There you go. All Cock and Bells. There you go. Anyway. So I don't know. I mean, right now things are just sort of so much in flux. So I'm just trying to figure out uh, what's happening tomorrow. It might not anything really concrete. Um, but I think for all, I think hopefully for all of us, the past year has given us a moment to kind of look back and think about, look inwardly and just sort of kind of reassess a few things. And hopefully um, things might be a little bit different for our futures. Uh, I hope anyway. Is there uh, is there anywhere we where any any of our listeners could you know maybe contact you, reach out to you if they have any questions, if they're interested in working with you? Uh, they can reach out. I do not have a social media presence. What about we, we got to make them one? Maybe we could uh, post like your wife's social media, and that will be like the interim. Um, I do have a Facebook page. Okay. You find me. You can find me also at uh, Hoboken Barbell um, website dot com. Uh, I yeah, I don't know what my Facebook page is. I have no idea. I've, I've written, I've done, I've posted, I think five times in about seven years. You post these dissertations about random things, <laughs> Keith. It's like, because I'm a random person, David. Like, the some I, words uh, I don't even understand. I mean, ESL, right? But I like, can you lend know. you a dictionary, David. You should jump on that. Um, uh, what was it? Something in spells, uh, old cock and bells Instagram page. You should <laughs> just you save should it for when there. you want it, then it's there. You have the name, right? Before somebody takes it, like Tell the website. Once you have the the um, what's your domain, name? the domain name, yeah, have the domain yeah. name. Well, all cock and balls.com is already taken, by the way. So there I you go, all cock and bells. All <laughs> cock and bells. You definitely looked you. it up and you went and it took you somewhere you don't want I to. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't type that in, by the way. That's, <laughs> that'll take you some very dark places that you do not want to go to. Even for me. Oh, and I'm pretty unshockable. All right, Keith. Th- thanks for joining us. It was really fun. Yeah, it's a great uh, talk it's been to a you, man. Guys. I've, thanks, I've enjoyed Keith. it. And it's great to see you guys again. Hope for sure. Well. Likewise. All right. Likewise. Take right. care, Keith. All right. See you. Bye. Right. Be well. Bye. You care. Bye. Cool. That was a good catch up. I, I haven't talked to Angel, I don't know about you, but I haven't spoken to him since we left, I don't think. I didn't see him. I, I saw his bike outside of uh, the gym locked up, and I was one like, of, oh one man, of his I the closest him. you got to seeing it, but I saw his bike. Yeah, but I did see Diana the other day. Uh, I actually saw her today. Um, but, What's uh, were you there, Angel? I was there at seven. I also saw D Nash. D Nash is back in the building, back in action. I had a client at 8 30, so he probably dipped by then. Yeah, I was out. David was getting his coffee at that point. Doo, 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 doo. Not even. I'm probably still asleep. <laughs> On the train, just sleepwalking. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, no, it, was, it was good to catch up with Keith. It's good to see that he's healthy and he's got um he's got stuff that he's doing and all that. I mean that hundred mile bike ride. That's got to be. You got to build some butt calluses. I was thinking the same thing because it's not. You have to bane uh bane bane. You have to build that tolerance for being on a Dude, seat for that long Keith, so I, I i bought a i got a bike off of keith that he wasn't using anymore i'm like i'll take it from you he's like all right you got to come to jersey city to pick it up i'm like i got it and it was a fixie so you know you can't stop pedaling so i got it <laughs> so i got it so i got it from from his place i i rode it to the path train took the path to christopher street 
mm. rode the bike or attempted to ride it from Christopher Street up to my apartment on 141. And then, you know, that's a, that's a pretty long way. It's like 10, and, mi- uh, uh, 10, 11 miles. Maybe. Yeah. It took me a while and my ass. Oh my God. It hurt. David couldn't stop. David couldn't go off to his apartment. He had to get going all the way to Yonkers. <laughs> yeah. I live there. I guess I'm not going home. Oh, Can't man. stop. For the next week, my ass hurt. Like it just hurt. It hurt to sit on my couch. Damn. Just to lay down. You I just got this it? big. I got this I image. It, yeah. I got this image of David just getting off a Christmas tree on the bike. We're like, fuck. I'm, I'm already in Harlem, but I guess I'm not going home. Just like, keeps going. Circles on the GW bridge and just keeps going. I should have got off at like. 23rd street 20, 20, yeah. i should have got off on 33rd street don't yeah made, made that's so what you're people. claiming but i don't believe it but yeah. all right uh, how anyway how, how are you guys been you being good very excited the weekend yeah Same it's shit, clearing up I? you know it was cloudy it was rainy but now it's clearing up so. humid as anything this morning oh, that's true. all right but we'll uh we'll call we'll it here it we'll wrap it up and cool. we'll see you guys in the next one be safe guys take care bye Bye. Charlie.